I'm going to talk about tonight, obviously, about something that's been on everybody's mind, um, especially on, you know, whoever's been listening uh, and following uh, current events, America, Israel, you know. <clears throat> and, uh, of course, people are walking around bewildered because what we're watching isn't a normal, uh, uh, normal types of happenings, events. What is going on in America is completely abnormal. In fact, in that, in that way, it's really historical. And the same thing in Israel. It's historical. It never happened before. And in America, as I will point out, uh, these things never happened before. So people are wondering, like, what does all this mean? It can't be that um, all of a sudden, uh, coincidentally, these two things which are beyond the norm are happening simultaneously in Israel and America. You know, wow, that would be some incredible coincidence. So obviously it can't mean that. Something is going on and everybody's dying to know what it is. Well, <clears throat> so therefore tonight what I'd like to do is give you the update. But the update is different than what you read in the papers and so on, you know. Uh, in fact, the update hopefully will even include the, uh, the killing of uh, this guy, Abu Bakr. Uh, was that an accident in the sense that it happened just now? Or is that indicative of something about to happen and so on? So I really want to cover, you know, a lot of ideas. But the main thing I want to give you is a background or rather a framework. How do we understand this? This is the critical piece. And based on that framework, then you can begin to see how everything unfolds, you see. <clears throat> so what I want to talk about tonight is basically what is happening, one. Why is this happening, two. And where is all this going to lead to, ultimately? That's what I want to talk about tonight. There are three things, or there are three basic frameworks in which to understand what is happening, whether it be in America, Israel, or whether it be around the world. <clears throat> and when you tie them all together, and they will be tied together, uh, it's really fascinating how the Rabbanish Lodim, how God is moving everything. Because I once pointed out a long time ago, God is the greatest chess player of all time. And like I said, in chess, right, you see things piecemeal. Guy moves his pawn, right? But like, what does that mean, you know? And then the other guy moves, and then all of a sudden he will move, let's say, his castle. Now, obviously, this is not random moves. There's some type of a hidden strategy. But the problem is, how do you determine the strategy when all you see individual pieces moving? It's only at the end, or almost at the end, where you see checkmate. Then you begin to look back and unravel the reason behind all the moves. But until the end, basically, nothing makes sense, you see. But the interesting thing about it is that if you have an understanding or some type of a grasp of the, the messianic process, 
which of course means they have a grasp of the whole agenda of God from the beginning of time of the Mauritian until now it is possible to understand what is going on now does that mean you could predict well sometimes yes sometimes no you see the reason for that is because what God does even though he has his own agenda in many ways the agenda is what's called variable it depends on the actions of the Jews you see so you can have direction one fine but if the Jews collectively do something else then God will move it he will vary that agenda uh, to, to direction number two even though both of them are within the goals of the agenda however the path to the destination of the goal can be varied so it's very hard to predict even if you have a sense of the framework you see <clears throat> Uh, so that's an important uh, caveat in terms of what, what's happening. Now, like I said, there are three fundamental ideas uh, which uh, is happening today and actually has been happening for a while. One is that <clears throat> we are at the end of time. That's a very important idea. And to many people, that is shocking. The end of time? You've got to be kidding. You mean it's actually happening? You know, we talk about it, we pray for it all the time. You know, maybe Goyal of Nebuchadnezzar and Shimon Esrei, we say the, the, you know, the Tanakh is filled with that, you know, and outfilas are always about redemption in the Beis Hamikdash. It's phenomenal, you know. But that's one of the first ideas, is that we're really at the end of time. Second uh, framework, is that the Sutton is dying you see and that has enormous repercussions in terms of what happens in history especially at the end of time the third idea and I will of course develop each of these the third idea is something which most people are unfamiliar with you know everybody thinks the Mashiach is going to come out of nowhere and here he is right and he's going to close the curtain on the entire world events, right? Yes and no, you see. What will happen is that the Rabbanashim is not going to bring a messianic figure who has this unbelievable kiddusha. I once quoted a while back that the Mashiach is not somebody that we know or think, well, we can imagine who he is. No, because based on the Psukim and the Midrashim, right, the Mashiach is greater than Avram Avinu, which is itself phenomenal. The second thing, he's greater than Moshe Rabbeinu. And that we cannot even comprehend. We can't comprehend the stature and the status of Moshe Rabbeinu. It's beyond us. I mean, here's a man who spoke to God for 40 years. Well, how, do you, how do we picture some, somebody like that? You know, it's, it's impossible to speak in conversation, as God says, Ramonshim says, ponim al ponim, face to face. What does that mean even, you know? And we're not talking about speaking to your friend. We're speaking about talking to a being that is beyond comprehension, and Moshe Rabbeinu is talking to him, let's say, every day or whatever it is. How do we comprehend the man that's doing this? 
Yes, he's a well, I in no way deny that he's human. But, however, remember, we cannot imagine who Moshe Rabbeinu is and so on, you know. And I'm not just talking about who he is in terms of his knowledge of Torah and all that. You know, uh, obviously the Torah gives to one place we could not imagine it. When all of a sudden, you know, some of the ink of the Torah came on him or whatever, you couldn't even look at his face. He had to wear a mask. That's already, and, and, and that was because there was this incredible awe, light, spiritual energy or power coming from his face. We, we, don't, we don't even know what that is. So he had to wear a mask. Now the third thing that is stated is not only is he greater than Moshe Rabbeinu, but he's greater than the Malachim. Greater than the angels. Now, therefore, as a result of that, uh, uh, this type of individual, who's going to come to? You see, a person like that comes to the world, guess what? Everybody's going to have a heart attack. You see, uh, it's going to be a field day for cardiologists uh, and so on. Because how can you be so evil? How do you even, uh, um, how do you stay in the presence of this individual? So therefore, the third framework which I'm going to offer is the concept of rehabilitation. That the Ramanisham is going to rehabilitate, especially the Jewish people. It is to a certain level, and that level will allow them to receive the Mashiach. He's not going to bring the Mashiach, this type of an individual, to a degraded people to a people that in the eyes of the Torah are so far gone we cannot even imagine what Madriga they're at you know how many millions of Jews 11 million Jews whatever are lost they're gone they're married to Goyim you see and not only that they don't do any mitzvahs how many Jews are there that don't even know about the Torah they may know they're Jewish but they have no understanding what that means I'm not even talking about people who have never been to Israel or even to a shul. It's beyond belief. So many Jews are unaffiliated or they are assimilated or they're intermarried and so on, you see. So therefore, we're obviously looking at a catastrophe. And therefore, the Jews are in an incredibly degraded state and you cannot take this type of person, this type of Jew, and introduce them to that type of person. It would just be absolutely horrendous. The, the Mashiach's riding on a donkey. He's gonna come. Uh, wait, wait. Yes, he's going to be riding on a donkey. <laughs> However, I spoke about this, but you got to hold on. Okay. Anyway, uh, so therefore, that's the third way of understanding what's going on: the concept of rehabilitation, and uh, yeah, and so on. Okay. <clears throat> so. I had mentioned also quite a while ago that there's a very important time clock. One, it's called the creation clock. What is that? Uh, the, uh, everything with the universe was created, everything was created, we know of course in six days. Then the seventh day was Shabbos. Okay, six days. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Therefore, the Chazal say, in the in the Masechta, there are different places that shiso alfei shnin hevu almo that the world will exist for six thousand years. Why? Because a thousand years per day, six days, six thousand years. We know that, right? And like Dovid Melach says, one day in your eyes is like a thousand years in ours. Okay. In any case, so therefore the world will exist for six thousand years. 
Uh, okay. Now, so therefore, you have these days and you have the existence of the world uh, for six days or the creation of the world and therefore will exist for 6,000 years. Fine. Now, 6,000 years, obviously, the year 5,000, right, would correspond to Thursday night. Right? 5,000 years, five days. So, therefore, uh, thurs uh, Thursday night, which is obviously the beginning of Friday, would be the year 5,000. Now, the English date of that, because obviously that's how we reckon, right? The English date to that is 1240. 1240. That was the year 5,000, which is Thursday night on the creation clock. So, you got three time periods. You got the creation clock, right, is one by one, five days. You have the Hebrew calendar, which is five thousand, uh, which is the year five thousand. Then you have the English year corresponding to that, which is the year twelve forty. Very good. Okay. Now, what is interesting is this. It says in the Navi, erev or, at the time of evening there will be light. Very important passage. Now, the light means what? It clearly refers to the light of the Mashiach. In other words, God begins to return messianically, so to speak, right? Lies uh, Erev at the time of evening. Now, obviously what that means, of course, is on, on the sixth day of the creation clock, right? Uh, Erev begins after 12 o'clock p.m. Noon on that day, right? On the uh, Friday noon of the creation clock is, uh, is uh, beginning of Erev. Beginning of evening, because it says Erev is Beinu Abayim, right? Uh, which means that after 12 noon, afternoon begins, uh, which is the beginning in, in many ways, of course, of Erev. And it says Le'is Erev Ye'or. Now, what's also important to know is that <coughs> even though 12 o'clock is Erev, however, Erev really doesn't begin until 12.30. Why? Because when the sun is overhead, exactly what's called on the meridian, right? It doesn't cast a shadow because it's exactly overhead. The shadow, which indicates that is now uh, 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 rises in the east and sets in the west, it is now going toward the west, right? At 1230s, you can notice it because the shadow on the stick begins to be seen. So therefore, Erev, as far as we're concerned, and by the way, that's when you can dive in Mincha, it's 1230. Not 12, it's 12.30, and that's also when you can bring the Korban Tamid, Beinu Arbayim. That's when you can bring it. So you got to wait till 12.30. <clears throat> Fine. So we have 12.30 on the creation clock, right? 12.30. Uh, and um, uh, the English year of 12.30 would be 5,000, right? Because it's all five days. 5,750. 5,750 is the equivalent of Sheish Vachetzi, which means 1230. That's not too many years ago, is it? Right? So that is uh, 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 what's called Sheish Vachetzi, six and a half, which is 1230. That's the uh, year is 5,750. The English year is uh, 1989, 1990, because the Jewish year always starts before the uh, English year and so on. But let's assume it's 1990. Fine, but it's really obviously 1989. Uh, therefore, we can begin to see that after Chatzos, things are going to heat up. That's exactly what happened, right? 
uh, on November 9th, 1989, things began to happen. The Berlin Wall collapsed. Mamash, right? In that year of 1989. The whole communism began to collapse. Right after that, communism collapsed, right? That also was the beginning of the Intifada. There are many things that happened at that time, which obviously is very significant. We, however, are now uh, in what year? We are almost in the year 2020, right? Which is actually um, 30 years after. So we would imagine, so therefore, if uh, 1750, right? If that was uh, 1230, right? So 30 years later, we are approximately 1245, approximately. That's after 1230. So therefore, we are certainly in the Erev. We are now in what's called evening or afternoon, whatever. And therefore, the Ace Erev Yeor, that's when the Mashiach comes. Well, that's when the Or begins, you see. Um, so we actually, after uh, uh, um, 1990, right, we are now, of course, in the English year 2020. So on the creation clock, that's approximately 1245. <coughs> we are certainly in the era. So automatically you could begin to think that things are going to heat up. Things are getting closer just by that creation clock, the Hebrew year, right? Which is 5780, right? And the English year, which is 2010. Uh, excuse me, 2020. We're almost uh, there. We're only two, mile, two, two times away. So therefore, based on that creation clock, we are approaching the Messianic era. Just on that itself. We are beginning, it's what's called, the Rebbe is beginning to wind down. You see. Therefore, these, these three ideas will happen. One is that we are approaching the end of time. Now, what does that mean, the end of time? It means that the Tikkun process is almost complete. That's what it means. <coughs> Right? Now, how is the tikkun done? And I've explained, used these expressions, the rectification process many times, right? The tikkun process, which means to bring God back into the universe, that happens in one of three ways. Mitzvahs, if the Jewish people do mitzvahs, commandments. Tshuva, if they repent. Or, right, yisurin, or suffering, you see. Now, the Jewish people have been in Golis for how many years? 2,000 years? Right? So with mitzvahs and tshuva and yisurin, which is the commandments, right? And repentance and suffering. And the main way the Jews suffer, of course, is the exile, right? Therefore, with all those three devices to do the tikkun, we are at the end of the tikkun process. There's no question about that. Okay. So therefore, the end of time means that the tikkun is almost complete. That's a very important idea. Because once the tikkun is complete, it's over. There's no point in continuing with this world. You see? And so as time goes on, of course, the process gets closer and closer at the end. Now, what is the end? The end is a messianic arrival. You see? And the Mashiach arrives after the tikkun is complete. In other words, when the Jews will have done the entire tikkun, uh, then the era of post-tikkun happens. And the one who introduces the post-tikkun process is the Mashiach. Specifically, Mashiach ben Yosef. 
and after him Mashiach ben David. So there are two Mashiachs, which I've mentioned many times, and that basically is what we are facing. The era of the Mashiach ben Yosef and the era of Mashiach ben David. Because of the Tikkun process is almost complete. <clears throat> now what's important... Now because of this, what do you want to ask? I, the, the, yeah. the, the Orthodox crew, a lot of them are... The what? A, a major part, the, the, like you mentioned just a few minutes ago, what most of the Jews are not observing mitzvahs. Yes. Even in the Orthodox world, a lot of them are supporting uh, Toeva and other things. Whatever, so what's so your so point? It's, it's going the other direction. I don't see where the tikkun is. Be, uh, well, it, it's uh, I, I can give you an answer to that. That's, that's my but I don't want to get into the long, right? But in Mitzrayim, right, Egypt, they were at the Memtesh Haratumah, right? That also sounds pretty bad, if you think about that. And Afapikain, and nonetheless, Moshe Rabbeinu, who was the Mashiach, he came and redeemed them. So what do you see, right? That it's possible, right, for the Jews to be at the spiritual level of the 49th level of Tumah, whatever that is, whatever level that means, and still be redeemed. Right. And so therefore, all you're pointing out is that they are at the 49th level. But that is not... But that is not... I don't want to get in... But that, I'm, I'm answering your question. That's all. So the level of the Jews does not necessarily mean that the Mashiach will not come because they're at that level. That's all. And it's proof. Simple proof. Anyway, uh, the, the, the answer to that, by the way, is that there's a very interesting paradox, inconsistency, because we see from Egypt that it's possible to be at the 49th level of Toma, and still the Tikkun is complete, because Moshe Rabbeinu could not come, there could be no redemption if the Tikkun process was not complete. So then the question is, how could that possibly be? And the answer is, because what I said, there are three ways of doing Tikkun. One is mitzvahs, commandments. Tshuva is number two. And Yesurin is number three. The Golas is the final process of Tikkun. That's why it's possible that even though the Jews are in the 49th level of Tumor, it's possible to be redeemed because they will have done the, the, the tikkun, how, the, the, the um, rectification, how, because of the Yisurim. We have been in exile for 2,000 years, and guess what? That is the equivalent, right, to the Yisurim. That's exactly what it was. Except in Egypt, it wasn't exile, but actually, in a certain sense, it was. But basically, right, it was a suffering at the hands of the Egyptians, right? So that was the Yisurim that the Jews experienced in Egypt. We experienced that Yisurim, how? To 2,000 years of exile. And an exile is something that most nations have never had before. We're not just talking here about wandering from nation to nation. We are talking about brutal slaughter, right? Brutal slaughter. But it be at the hands of the Crusades, the pogroms, the Holocaust, right? Uh, the expulsions. Uh, and so on, brutal, you know, and so on. And so that's obviously the suffering that the Jews have received. So therefore, uh, whatever, anyway, so even though they're at that level, they, on the contrary, uh, they could be redeemed and so on. In any case, so therefore, the, uh, as I mentioned, the Sutton is dying because the Tikkun is almost complete. And what that means, by the way, is that the Sutton's energy 
that he could take. The Sakna is able to derive a certain amount of spiritual energy, okay, because of the sins of the Jews. The problem is that as the Jews suffer more and more, and for a great length of time, he is forced to give back all the amount of what's called sparks of holiness back to the Jewish people or back to the side of holiness. And therefore, as he gives it back, he grows weaker. You see. Now the problem is obviously for him is that he's about to expire because he has given back 98, maybe 99% of all his Kedusha. So he is on his, I don't know if I did it's right, the proper uh, example, but he is sort of like walking around on crutches. You see, and it's not something that he enjoys, you see. So what he is doing, he's going to be desperate to maintain his health. And his health, we know, is he needs to get back that type of uh, sparks in order for him to survive. That's a very important concept because it explains why a great deal of things are happening, is that he is dying. Now the third concept is the concept of rehab rehabilitation which is a very important idea before the Mashiach comes see it's AA who? A Golos is in AA rehab Muna and Achtos AA okay <laughs> yeah okay you mean the 12 steps huh anyway <clears throat> um, yeah but anyway, so that's a very important consideration, and so on, which we'll see uh, what's happening with that. Anyway, okay. Uh, now, also, well, I'll speak about that, but um, any case. So that's something to think about. Those are the three things that are happening all simultaneously, although rehab is really the last thing that happens. Uh, you see, um, it was when the Tikkun is slowly ending and the Sutton is dying and then the rehab will begin. <clears throat> Once we have an idea of that, you see, we understand the three stages, we can now begin to understand how it's manifesting in, in world history. You see? That's what we can begin to understand. But isn't um, Trump... Is, is I'm not up to name? Trump. No, no, I'm not. I'm, no, yeah, I'm not up to that yet. Yeah, wait. But you said that there's two Mashiachs. Trump is actually a Mashiach of Esav. Of Esav. Don't right. confuse him with Yosef. He's a, he's a main part of redemption. He is certainly part of it, yeah. I wouldn't call him main, but he's very much a part of it, yes. And, uh, the, well, I'll get into that, you know. Anyway, now, <clears throat> what is interesting is that we are witnessing something, like I said, which never happened before, you see, and it's historical. And... Um, the question is, what's the logic of it? Or what does it have to do with this whole concept of the end of time? You see. <clears throat> um, now, there's also something I should mention, which I mentioned a long time ago, that the end of time has three different uh, tukufas, three different names in, in terms of the stages. The first stage is called Ikrasid the Meshicha. The footsteps of the Messiah means that the Mashiach, okay, that he's so close that you can actually see his steps ahead of you, so to speak, his footstep, you know. Uh, that's how close he is. And that has started basically from 1840. 
1840 started a tremendous change in civilization. What is the change in civilization? The changes in the industrialization of the world, uh, the, uh, everything changed from 1840 and on. Technology, and uh, not only that, also countries began, became nationalized, where they began to come together as opposed to being separate. There was, there's Italy, there's Germany. There. Many of the countries you know, formed nations as opposed to provinces or whatever, and so on. There's, so there's a lot of things that happened from 1840 and on. So that's a beginning of Iqvisa de Mishikha. And that ends when, by the next period of time, which is called Aschalte de Geula. It's the beginning of redemption. You see, what is the beginning of redemption? Well, you can take a look at it. I believe you could look at the beginning of redemption, okay, is when the individual who is Mashiach, Mashiach ben Yosef, when he will become aware of who he is. Because the Mashiach ben Yosef is an individual who's not aware of who he is. Just like Moshe Rabbeinu had no idea who he was for 80 years until the Bosham obviously uh, encountered him at the Sneh, so to speak, and told him, by the way, you're the man. You know, and go and take out my people from Eretz Yisrael. You see. Uh, and uh, so, Aschalta de Gula really begins at that point in time. It has a lot of Kabbalistic significance because what's very important to understand is that the Mashiach ben Yosef in a certain sense is a tragic figure. It's an interesting term to use for this type of person, you know. And the, the tragedy of Mashiach ben Yosef in a certain sense um, is what helps us survive. Is that he has agreed, and there's a whole medrash on this, he has agreed to accept enormous suffering to allow the Jews to make it so to speak, to the end. And there's a whole medrash about that, which I once spoke about a long time ago, and he's accepted that Yisurim. So because of that, whatever Yisurim he has, I'm getting into that, right, he cannot be what he is. He's paralyzed. Basically, he's paralyzed. He, you know, the metaphor could be he's paralyzed, he's in prison, whatever, however you want to look at it, uh, this individual is stuck. He can't move beyond a certain amount of progress. Can't. Because he is inhibited from that by the Rabbanishim himself. Does not have access to his, whatever his potential, his Kedusha. You see, okay. Uh, and at the time of Aschalta de Geula, he's released. That is called the Pekida. I mentioned that a, a while back, Pekida. And the Pekida is when the Mashiach ben Yosef is released from what's called his klipa, okay? But the problem is, even after he's released, so what? You know, all it means is that he's still paralyzed, but he's no, no longer permanently paralyzed. It means now he can begin to be cured. He can begin to grow, you see? So that's what happens. He begins to grow. Sheikh Ben Yosef. So because of that, he can grow and Klai Yisrael also grows simultaneously. And that avoids the problem of this incredible person, which I said is greater than the Malachim, right? That he will destroy anybody who is in the same room with him. Because the Kedusha level of this individual is incredible. Greater than the Malachim. So because he starts out tremendously uh, paralyzed in that sense, 
inhibited, or I should say, handicapped, right? So you can be in the same room with the person and nothing happens. Because he is in an incredibly low madrega because of all the years that he has suffered. So therefore, what happens is in the Aschalta de Gula, he comes out of that, the paralysis is lifted, but he has to grow, you see. So his growth will be simultaneous to the growth of the Jewish people. So therefore, they both grow at the same time. So therefore, the Mashiach Ben Yosef will not harm the Jewish people, and the Jewish people can now tolerate this individual. You see, and that's why this is the concept of rehabilitation. <clears throat> that's why Kleistrol needs to be rehabilitated. But what's interesting is not only does Kleistrol need to be rehabilitated, but the Mashiach needs to be rehabilitated. You see, and that's what you see in Yeshaya when he says, Ahine Yaschel Avdi, behold, my servant will grow wise. And then it expresses three different expressions of growth and so on and he himself has to grow because now he's been released from his prison so to speak and as a result of that he will begin to grow together with the Jewish people that is the period called rehab rehabilitation you see and that will precede the whole messianic era when he actually can come if you want a uh, if you want to understand rehab Right? You take a look at Moshe Rabbeinu. Right? Moshe Rabbeinu was what? He was, a, he was uh, out of Egypt. Right? For 54 years. He was 80 years old when he came back to Egypt. Right? Do you know what means 80 years old? Now all the Jews were in Egypt. Which means he did not see a Jew, basically, for 54 years. No minion. Right? No davening with a minion, so to speak, right? He's gone for 54 years. You see, we don't even understand what that means. Yeah, he was doing other things, uh, whatever, in Ethiopia and so on, whatever, you know. But he certainly was not in Egypt. So as a result of that, like, what was he? Can you imagine seeing Moshe Rabbeinu before he was 80? You see? So what happened, obviously, is that he had to be rehabilitated. So that's what happened at the snare, where he was released. That's the Pekidah, because that's what Moshe, the Rebbeinu says to Moshe Rabbeinu. Pokadati, I have surely remembered you. That's called the Pekidah. means I'm releasing you from your paralysis, you see, and now you will grow, you see. And slowly he began to grow, you see. Now, what about the Jewish people? They also had to be rehabilitated. You know, how do you take people that were slaves in Egypt and were at the Memtesh Shari Tumah, right? How do you take these people, such a Loma Drega, and also bring them to Har Sinai? Where they hear the Rabbanishlam, his voice? Of course they all died, you see? So where was their rehabilitation? And the answer is, right, their rehabilitation started, right, on the first day of the Makkas. Because with each Makkah, it's not just a blow to the Egyptians, right? There was a gilui of awe, you see. There was a revelation of enormous spirituality with which you do not know that was associated with the Makkah, let's say, of Dam. And it proceeded. Each Makkah was a blow to the Egyptians, but a revelation of some sort to the Jews, you see. And we see that. Because if you remember, by Choshech, that was real darkness, real, uh, the real darkness that the Egyptians suffered, right? But it says, right, 
there was light. And it's not just light, you know, obviously, which it was, you know, but there was something that they realized, you see, a spiritual enlightenment that they had at the Makkah of Choshech. And of course, it increased. And by the time they got to Kriyas Yamsuf, it was unbelievable, you see, that it says even a maidservant, Omavriya, right, or whatever, right, she saw more than Yechezkel, Hanovi, saw at the Maisimer Kova. Now, that vision of the divine chariot of Ezekiel, of Yechezkel, is something we have no idea what it was. That's the big basis of Kabbalah, right? So the handmaiden saw more than the prophet called Yechezkel. That's how much awe there was released. Unbelievable. And that was only the seventh day after they left Egypt. Now, we have no idea what those 49 days consisted of. We don't know. But one thing we know clear is that when they stood at Har Sinai, they were not normal. Because the Gemara says, Nifzika Zoyama Shal that the original Zoyama, the pollution of the Sultan that came in after the sin of Adam, right, ceased to exert its influence or power over the Jew. That means they're not normal. They're not uh, like we we are. We have Zoyama, you know, in spades, as they say, right? They had no Zoyama. That means they were like Odom Rishon before the sin. What does that mean? We have no idea what that is. That's beyond comprehension, right? How they get that way? And the answer is the forty-nine days. You see. So, how would you characterize those forty-nine days? And the answer is rehab. That was their rehab. You see, they also needed a rehab. You can't go from what's called Egypt at the Memteshari Tumah and walk over to Harsinai and all of a sudden there's God talking to you. And of course, even with all the rehab, they all died with the rehab. So the, when we know the Medrash, the Torah said, what are you going to give me, to a dead people? So what the Bonsham did is he resurrected them, every one of them. So they all experienced Chesa Mesim then and there. You see, so that was their rehab. People fail to understand, you need a rehab. You cannot go from the lowest pit, what's called the Bora uh, Mikta, the lowest pit, the Igru Rama, to the highest roof, right? And so on, you know? But even then, they were not really ready, totally, to accept the Rabbanu Shalom, in that sense. They all were still too great, so they died, even with the rehab, you know? But in any case, uh, the main idea is that <clears throat> rehab is a serious third stage. You can't do without it. And therefore it says, Behold, right, in the Pasuk, I will redeem you, right? Achris, the last redemption, will be like the first, correct? So what that means is that just like in the first redemption, right, the Jews had a rehab. They went from Memtesh Shari Tumor, the 49 levels of defilement right and they went to unbelievable kedusha so it will happen now also you see that's how we know not only does logic dictate that but that's exactly what happened in egypt the rehab you see so that's an important idea the third stage of which we will we have yet to encounter really although you begin to see as you will understand the beginnings of the rehab which is very interesting Okay, and that also will explain some of the events of what's happening. Okay, so this is a very important, what's called um, uh, prep, 
preparation. These three ideas are critical, you see? Now let's take a look, okay? <clears throat> I know you've been anxiously awaiting, you know? Go ahead. The uh, concept of Aschal de Gula. Aschal de Gula, yes. But it's hardly mentioned in the Gomorrah. It's who? It is hardly mentioned. Hardly, as yes. As far as I know. And I do not agree with, let's say, the religious Zionists that say it's the establishment of the state of Israel. No, it's, that's not Aschal de Gula. Whatever, it's referring to Gula, though. It's got to be some uh, freeing release from oppression of the non Jews. Are you asking me, I, I don't want a commentary, okay. are you asking me a question? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, that, What's the question? It, 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 the, the reference to Geula must be some uh, freeing, uh, freeing the Jews from oppression of the non-Jews. Well, wait, so therefore what I've said is that eight, there's an equus of the Meshichah, which means that the Rabbanishim is now changing the world scene to allow the Mashiach to come. That starts in 1840, which is 5,600 without going into the origin of that. It's Noach, 600th year of the life of Noach. So the Zoya says in the 600th year of the last millennium, there will, be, there will be an incredible awe that comes down. That's preparatory to that without getting into that. But uh, the, the, the founding of the State of Israel, even though people certainly would disagree, is clearly part of the messianic process. Why? Because the rehab means several ideas. It has a lot of components to it. One is that the Jews ultimately have to be freed from the Golas, which is basically happening now, because now the Jews can go wherever they want. They are no longer captured and enslaved by either, you know, the uh, 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 Islamic uh, nations or Russia. All the Jews can now leave, basically. You know, so that's very important. So the goal is in that. Wait, so therefore, therefore that's one. And the second thing is the state of Israel. You have to be able to come back to something. So Israel is the place of the Jews, right? So the Bersham allows that to come out, come back to the Jews. And therefore, that's the vessel that will be able to contain them. Both of these things are simultaneous. These are part of the process of the redemption itself. Even though it doesn't look like that. Anyway. It's not Aschalte de Gula. Of course. Of course it is. And it's part of what's called the stage called Ikvesa de Meshicha. Aschalte de Gula is much, is, is, there's no comparison. Ikvesa de Meshicha means, you know, it's like um, staging. When you have a play, you got to create the background and the stage, you know, uh, and, and so on. It's called the background and the, the preparation and so on. That's Iqbis de Meshichah, which has been going on since 1840. Schalte de Gul is a different type of thing. It's the equivalent, basically, of Moshe Rabbeinu and the Sneh. That's a whole different understanding, or I should say, advancement of the process. That means the Mashiach himself has been released what's called from his clipper. He has been released from his prison and he can now grow. And that begins the period of rehab, rehabilitation, you see? So that, that is a critical uh, stage. Yeah, then the, the school, come, you said, I third, third, the third stage, the third stage is called Yemoysa Mashiach. Right. That will be, once the growth has been achieved, 
right? And Kaisro will return, right? Then you have the actual Messianic era. And that already is not just Mashiach ben Yosef, but it's also Mashiach ben David. And that is the true Messianic era that everybody has been waiting for. That's the third stage, you see? So therefore, the difference between Iqbis and the Mashiach and Aschalta de Geula is not a quantitative distinction, it's a qualitative distinction. Because this, Aschalta de Geula, the beginning of redemption, is what? Is the release of the Messianic figure himself. There's no, not even a comparison. Just like Moshe Rabbeinu and the snare. Anyway, so, so far now, <clears throat> what have we been witnessing? There's, there's two things going on which never happened before, you see. And I want to explain, okay, what are we seeing in America? You know, <clears throat> I will tell you what's happening in America. Because the Sultan is dying, this is the key, okay? I mentioned in the previous shurim that America is really Esau, right? We have in the beginning, there's Esau in the Torah, there's Edom, the Ed Edomites, the Torah says Esau zu Edom. Then Edom becomes Rome. The Gemara says Edom is Romi. And Rome, I mentioned, is what? Became Christianity, which became Western civilization. And I mentioned that there are three parts, right? There's, Europe, there's Russia, which is the uh, Russia, uh, without going into the whole thing. There's Russia, Europe, and the United States. United States, however, is the Toiv Shebeisov, is the good part of Esau because Esau had a good part. Okay, and therefore, <coughs> uh, we are witnessing in America something never happened before. Do you notice what's, what's happening? We're not looking here against political parties that disagree with each other. That's long gone. You see, we are looking for the battle of the soul of Esau. That's the way to look at it. It's the neshama of Esau that's being ripped apart. Why? Because the Sultan doesn't want to give up his major guy. His major agent is who? Is Esau. We know that from the Torah, that the Malach of Esau is who? Is the Sultan, right? And all of a sudden, the Sultan is forced to relinquish part of Esau, you see. So what we're witnessing is the good part of Esau, which is really represented by Trump, is battling the evil of Esau, which is fundamentally liberals, the progressives, the Democratic Party, right? And the, uh, 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 well, well, whatever, they're always caught up in something, right? Uh, so we're looking at, at the good part of Esau and the bad part of Esau, each one trying to destroy each other, you see? Where do you see this? Because it's not an ideological, well, it is an ideological battle, but it's something we've never seen before, because the other side, the Democratic Party, isn't just, well, you know, we want other things. No, no, no. We want socialism. You see, what do you mean? That's contrary to the values of America. America is the bastion of what? Of capitalism, right? Of fear play, of individualism. I mean, these are the values of America. All of a sudden, there comes a bunch of, I hate to say, wackos, right? That want to change America from a capitalistic society to what? To a communist or socialist society where the government can now infringe on your rights for the betterment of society, which of course we know is absolute nonsense. All they want is power. 
and recognition that's all it's about right of course they want to do it under the camouflage or the guise of being good to you and so on that's all communism socialism is they want to infringe on your basic rights you see so but that's what's being espoused by the democratic party all these people running for the democratic party you know you, it's hard to believe who's a bigger communist and socialist than the other one they're all vying you know, for the distinction of being, you know, Karl Marx or whatever they call the guy, you know, and so much. It's incredible to watch. See, so we're not looking at a party that has their view. We are looking at a party that is the exact opposite of the values of America. What does that mean? That means you are looking at the battle of the Nishama, the soul of America. That's really what it is. What has made America so great and so prosperous and so successful is what? It's, a, it's capitalism. Why? Because capitalism talks to you. Means whatever you do, it's yours. You can keep it. You see? Socialism, excuse me, you made some money, it's my money, not yours. It's like the Perky of us, you know? Shalcho, right? It's Shali, it's all of it is mine. Shalcho, Shali, Shali. That's what communism is. That, that creates an incredible disincentive of anybody to do anything. Look, communism, socialism has failed at every place it is. Why? Because it's against human nature. The only reason why anybody will do anything is because he gets something out of it. Not into doing something because you can get benefit. It forces him to benefit you. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I don't mind giving you charity, but you can't walk in and take my money because you want to benefit somebody else. And, and, and you know, in Torah, that's called gazela. That's all they are, it's a bunch of gazlonim, you know? It's one thing to be able to take money, you know, for what society needs. You know, we have to have a standing army to protect the society. I understand that, so you get, you've got to give your contribution. But how do you come in and take my money because you want to give somebody free health, you know, free education, and, and, and so on, that's called gazela. I don't care who it is, nobody could do that. It's against the Torah. In fact, it's against the laws of mankind to do that. You know, I don't care who does it, even if they call themselves a government. But that's basically what communism is. So what you're, which, what you're witnessing isn't just a, a political fight. You're, you're witnessing the fight for the soul of America, the essential idea of America. Why? We never saw anything like that, you know? Such guys are running around, you know, whatever. I don't want to mention the guys. Unfortunately, you know, one of them is Jewish. You know, <clears throat> yeah, well, so it's important to understand what is happening in America. You know, you look at the Democratic Party, this isn't normal. You realize the Democratic Party is in a frenzy. They're desperate to destroy Trump. You know, it's not because anything he did, what did he do? What he did was phenomenal for America, if you really think about it. Bureaucracy and the regulations and everything else, you see. So what do you want from the guy? Because Trump is the messianic figure of Edom. They have to destroy the man. Whether he did good or bad is irrelevant. See, that's why whatever he does doesn't make a difference. They have to destroy the man. Because the man is a messianic figure, even though he doesn't know it. Right? Uh, because, uh, as I, wh whatever, a messianic figure, and they have to destroy him. But who's, that's the Rashab Esau. Those are the evil parts of Esau. Who's behind that? The Sultan. So the Sultan does not want to lose his agent. You see? So he must destroy the leader of the Tevshab Esau. It, it, it's not only because the Tevshab Esau, the good part of Esau, Trump, 
right, is saving America or whatever, as we will see far more than that. It's because this person is going to aid and abet Israel, which we will see, and so on. And therefore, that's the great, and the Sultan is losing his major agent. He cannot allow that. So what he's doing is he's coming out, right, as a Sultan, which is the tempter. That means he can influence your psyche. He does it all the time, the HR and so on. And he's getting everybody to try to destroy Trump. <coughs> so that, that's the first thing. The first thing is that Trump is the greatest danger to Sutton, to, to Sutton himself, you see. And that's why you're witnessing this insane betrayal of the Democratic Party. Because think about that. It's not only that they're desperate to deny this man. It's worse, you see, because they know he didn't commit any crimes. In fact, what he did is he, what he did was, was interesting, you know, this whole Ukrainian accusation. He gave the transcript. What do we need whistleblowers? He's got the transcript. That's the greatest testimony of all. And there's no crime in that. Okay? Besides, besides I mean, forget about the, the argument that he was allowed to do everything as a president. You know, but there's no crime here. It doesn't make a difference to these guys. It's like, don't confuse me with the facts. So we see it's insane. Because, and not only that, it's the highest body, the Congress, the House, this is supposed to be the dignified body in America, and these guys are insane? Not only that, this crazy Michigander, who's unfortunately Jewish, Adam Schiff, there's not even a due process here. How do you do that? You want to convict a guy, there's a concept called due process, means he has a right to defend himself. So <laughs> the meetings are secret. We all know what's going on. The meetings are secret. They can't in any way, you know, refute the testimony. They can't bring their own witnesses. This is a violation of one of the most fundamental laws of the Constitution. The concept that everybody has a right to defend himself. You see, they don't want to allow that. This guy Schiff will not allow that. You should know, you're watching something which is so, such a betrayal of American values. It's like, what's going on? And the interesting thing about, which I find interesting, is not only are they in many ways psychotic and traitors of the America, Forget about traitors, you know, to, you know, to uh, what do you call it, the, uh, the, the uh, American people, whatever, or traitors to Trump. The Constitution says what you're doing is illegal, and so on, uh, you see? But the interesting thing I find about all this is that they don't care that it's glaring and obvious to everybody. And, you know, usually a guy, when he does something which is extremely questionable, he's embarrassed. So what does he try to do? He hides it. You make believe, I didn't really mean it, and so on. Meanwhile, of course, he stabs in the back. <clears throat> Fine, I can hear that. <clears throat> but how can you do something <clears throat> which everybody sees, you know? Look, even if you hate Trump, come on. He's got a right to defend himself. Even you would want that. You know what I'm saying? It's glaringly obvious. So the question is, what drives these guys? How could they be so stupid? as to not only destroy or go, or go against, deny the values of the Constitution and, the and, the, and destroy the due process of this man, right? How, how, how can, at least try to hide it. Make believe. They don't care, you see. So the question is, what is behind this psychosis, really? It's beyond, I, I tell you, you know, if you really think about that, it's, it's hard to believe that grown men who call themselves congressmen, can do this in such an obvious fashion. 
So that's the question. And the answer, one, is because they are desperate to destroy this man because it is the beginning of a messianic era. That's number one. That's why. So it's the sudden behind this. So therefore, it's completely abnormal. You see. The second thing is I believe that the Barnsham is going to destroy the Democratic Party or decimate them. You see. Because the Democratic Party in many ways is responsible for an enormous amount of immorality in America. They have destroyed the morals of America. You know, today was Parshish Noyach, right? We saw what happened when there was hashchosa, enormous corruption, right? He destroyed the world. You have any idea what kind of a, a, a accusation had was against the world for God to destroy the world? I mean, that's like one of the most extreme retributions that you've ever seen. Destroy the planet and everything on it? It's beyond belief. You talk about an oinish, that's not an oinish. That is an absolute catastrophe in a court of law. You know? Unbelievable. Why? Because God will not tolerate for long the immorality. And what keeps everybody safe is because God decided not to destroy the world again. Without that, who knows how many times the mobble would have come over and over. You see? And after a while, you know, in order to save yourself, you'd be taking swimming lessons <laughs> over and over again in order to avoid the coming calamity, right? It's incredible. But the Democratic Party, it has destroyed the moral fabric of America. You know what the LGBTQ, I think that was the Rush Davis, right? It's incredible, you know? Uh, that, that's one of the reasons for the mobble. These guys don't get it. So that's the second reason why the Russian is after the Democratic Party. You see. <clears throat> then there's so many other things, the fraud, what these guys have never done. You know, look, I, I'm not into this, you know, in, in, in a way that I'm familiar with everything, all the misgivings and the, and the deficiency of the Democratic Party. But I guarantee you, they have a lot to pay for. And since we're coming to the end, this is called payback. So I believe what the bunch wants to do is to allow them to be so blatantly treacherous, you see, that I think that Trump is going to win by a landslide. And not only that, because even people who hate Trump realize this, this is not fair. Come on. You know, where's your crime? Where's your due diligence? What are you doing to a guy? And besides, this is not America. I mean, this is the country that I believe in, that I'm proud of. Come on. So I believe that there will be an unbelievable backlash. So that's the uh, second concept, that with this, hopefully, they will decimate the Democratic Party. But there's something else which is also interesting, I believe. And that is that when we are talking about a messianic era, right? Jews love America. Everybody's in love with America, right? America is the promised land, is it not? They used to call it in Yiddish the Golden Medina. Remember that, the Golden Medina? Right, it's like, wow, there's gold in the streets, right? Now, America is a great country, don't get me wrong. It really is. When you compare it to the rest of the world, right? There's not even a comparison in terms of what the goodness and the greatness of what America has done. Right? Which is very true, you know. But for the Jews, Jews don't look at the a country in terms of economic prosperity, right? Or freedom, which are very important qualities, no question. 
to a Jew based on the Torah, there's only one thing that counts. Will I grow spiritually or not? That's all that matters to a Jew, because that's his tafkit, to do the tikkun. And the whole concept of tikkun is only ruchnis, spirituality. You see, what does America have to offer spiritually? Nothing. Although they do allow you to become, if you want to become spiritual, no problem. You see, so what Durbanisham is doing is by allowing the holds of power to display such a treachery to the values of America, what does a person say? What am I doing? What, am I crazy? What, why am I in love with America? If this is America, what am I doing here in a certain sense? You know, we thought America is it's it, right? It's the be-all, have-all, do-all, or whatever, right? What are you talking about? Look at the government of America. The unbelievable treachery of a government. And not only that, why do you think there's an anti-Semitism rising in America? think it's an accident? Of course not. Because the anti-Semitism is actually growing in America and many, most Jews are concerned. You know, it's happening. So what is that to show? Because the Rebbeinu is saying, again, to destroy the promised land, if you want to call it right. You think you're going to escape anti-Semitism in America? You have no idea what's growing. It's called a tumor. These guys want to get you. And not only that, what's incredible is that the Congress, the, the House, right, is being led by this squad, you see, by people who are openly anti-Semitic, and everybody else is submitting to them. What, are they crazy? Nobody's willing to stand up to these women that are anti-Semitic and want to destroy the Jewish people? So therefore, it's becoming what's called an official government policy. Don't you see what it all means? The Bershom is trying to destroy the illusion that America is the promised land. You see, by having the government do outright, you know, illegal maneuvers to destroy justice. And then the Congress, the House follows people who are openly anti-Semitic. Then you have the growth of anti-Semitism. What does it mean for Jews? It means, be careful. America is not what you think it is. Why? Because this is the beginning of getting Jews to think about Israel. Beginning to think about, wait a minute, what am I doing here really, in a certain sense? Maybe Israel is a place where really Jews belong, and it is the place where Jews belong. God says that a thousand times in Torah, I will give you the Israel. That's what you're looking at, except they look like they're separate. So you don't realize, right, the chess pieces that different things are happening which destroy your illusion of America. But the problem is this, you know, Israel. Israel can't accept Jews. What do they have? They are so backwards in terms of what to do about millions of people coming into their country. Even the French Jews don't want to go to Israel because what are they going to go to? You see? So therefore, that is also something which is a very important consideration. But in any case, so this is what we begin to see, uh, and, and so on. <clears throat> um, and, and that's why what you're witnessing is an insanity in terms of what is happening in America. Uh, so that, in a certain sense, 
gives you somewhat of an understanding of what is happening because it's not just Trump the anti-semitism the fact that the Congress is now becoming anti-semitic so a lot of things going on here which are going to make living as a Jew in America very uncomfortable and so on and in many ways this is the beginning because let me ask something who ever thought that America would be anti-semitic the question is why what do you want from the Jews I mean, they, they, what are they number here? A couple of million Jews? There are 340, I think, by now. Maybe 350, depending on what the census is going to reveal very shortly. 340 or 50 million people. What do we got in America, Jews? Right, 5 million? And most of the Jews are not, they, right? They don't practice Judaism. So what do you hate about them? You're, they're not even practicing Judaism, you know? Uh, so you can't say, well, they're practicing Judaism, and therefore let's, ha let's hate them. <laughs> you know, come on, what are you, crazy? So what do you have? You have a, maybe a million Jews practicing Judaism out of 350 million people? It's a psychosis. There's no reality. It's not based in reality. What do you hate the Jew? What did he do for you? Anyway, what did he do that you hate the guy, you see? Yeah, but they're very prominent in the liberal movements, you know, right. Well, yeah, prominent. yeah, that, that's, that's, the, 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 the that's the Hester. The problem is the Jews have suffered for so many thousands of years, right, that they are petrified of anti-Semitism. Why is a Jew a liberal? Do you know why? Because, what? It's his religion. No, 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 that's not an answer, it's just a fact. Uh, why are Jews always liberals? Why? Because a Jew is petrified of anti-Semitism, right? So you figure what's the best way to beat anti-Semitism is to vote for a party that accepts everybody because then they'll accept a Jew also. And who accepts everybody? Liberal. That's why Jews are always liberal. It's really a protection against anti-Semitism. It's the only thing, if you want to Goyim, all right, then you got to vote for the liberals. That's why, you see. But obviously, if the liberals become anti-Semitic, now what's your option? Bad news, right? But in any case, uh, so, so far, that, that is uh, what, what's going on. <clears throat> now, we know that Trump is a very dangerous figure in that sense. Because, like I once told you, Esau is an of. He's a patriarch, you see. But he decided to become, or to drop... Uh, Judaism and so on, right? But he's still an Av. So the way Esau now helps Yaakov is he punishes Yaakov, right? If Yaakov sins. So in that sense, he allows him, he's the major agent for the third Tikkun device, which is suffering. But in the end of time, I mentioned this a long time ago, many times, Esau comes back to his original task, which is to support Yaakov to do the Tikkun. As I once mentioned in the Medrash, in the beginning he was Ya'avoid, the Rav Ya'avoid Tso'ir, and the older will serve the younger. Then he became Rav Ya'avoid Tso'ir, he will persecute the younger, and now he's returning to Ya'avoid. So Trump, we see it, which is incredible. Trump is the greatest friend Israel has ever had, which is really unbelievable. That that's what he's doing. Why? Because he is the Toif Shebeisov. He's a messianic figure. And his job is four things. One, is to assist the Jewish people to get Israel back. Even though people hate that. What does Israel back mean? Jerusalem is the capital. Unheard of. Right? 
embassy moves to Jerusalem. The Golan now begins to become Jerusalem. And not only that, they're already saying they want the Jordan Valley as part of Israel. Slowly do you notice what's happening? That Israel is coming back to the Jews. The territory of Israel is coming back to the Jews. And there's nobody that could stop it. That's his job. The second job of Trump is to protect the Jewish people from the UN, from Europe, right? From all the anti-Semites, people that hate Israel. I mean, imagine Trump came out when, uh, I think it was Omar said, you know, uh, you know, uh, not Omar, but the, when the Democratic is becoming uh, anti-Semitic, so Trump said, how can you even vote for the Democratic Party? You're Jewish, right? And uh, excuse me, what do you care about Jews and so on? Because that's his job. That's his job as a messianic figure, right? That a president should say to Jews, don't vote for the Democrats, they're anti-Semitic. You know, what, what are you, you, you've now become the shield for anti-Semitism for the Jews? Yes, because that's who he is. You see, so therefore, in a certain sense, he will become an incredible protector of the Jews. I mean, just imagine what he did to the UN and what's her name again? Um, Nikki Haley. It's unbelievable what she did and so on. Now, she'll be back. Don't worry about it, you know. Uh, but it was just absolutely incredible. So that's his second job. This is all messianic. It's unheard of because he's a Toyf Shabbat You see, the third job of Trump, I believe, is to raise America to return the morality of America. That's his third job. Because the Bosham does not want America, right, to be corrupt. That's why he's always saving America. America doesn't realize that. Because America is fundamentally the Tev Shebeisov, right? And that's why he brought them the Civil War in 1860. Why? Because they were all Chayav Misa. They were all obligated to die. Why? Because they kidnapped people. That's Misa. You can't kidnap people with slavery, the blacks from Africa. They kidnap them. And that doesn't, that's not what the terrorist says. If a person wants to sell himself into slavery, right? Actually, it's not slavery. It's really called servitude. Because he owes money, fine. But you can't kidnap somebody to do that. This whole comparison is nonsense, you see? So America, really, in a certain say, Wachayev Misa. You know, you've kidnapped millions of blacks. So what did Bansham do? It's okay. I will make sure that a lot of you will die. Bingo, civil war. So that was a kapora for the kidnapping that they did for who knows how many years. And just destroyed the whole kidnapping process. That's what the civil war did. It stopped the kidnapping process, you see. And the Bosham is always behind America in World War II, in all the wars and so on, you know. Where the Bosham wants to help America, you see. And, he, and, and how is Trump helping America? Because Trump is doing something that Obama didn't do, which is astounding. He has replaced 140 judges, you know, that Obama never did. Can you imagine 140 positions which were opened in the federal courts? And he's replaced them with conservative judges. And conservatives are moral, you see. That's unheard of. He's doing that silently. So not only is he replacing the judges on the Supreme Court, you see, which is very important for morality and for religious freedom and values, he's doing that on the federal courts. And everybody, nobody's watching. In fact, Trump even said, I want to thank Obama, right? I want to thank him, you know, and he said, and he said himself, I can't even begin to understand why the guy did this, why the guy never replaced the judges. Because in the end, the morality comes from the courts, 
the freedom of religion, right? And the, the laws and so on about morality is really judicial. And he has now replaced 140 federal judges. It's unbelievable, you see. Incredible. So that's his second, uh, his third job. Because the Bershom wants America to become moral again, you see. And that's why he's, God is always concerned about the, the, the health, so to speak, of America. In any case, and then the fourth job of Trump is to make America great. Why? Because the, the greater America, it's not America that becomes great. It's the Toiv Shabbat Esav that becomes great. And the greater the Toiv Shabbat Esav becomes, the, the good part of Esav, the greater will be its influence over Israel. Because everybody's going to run to be a friend of Israel because America loves Israel. Uh, you see, that's why America has to become great in order for Israel to become, Israel to become great. And that's the deal. You want to help my Jews? God makes sure. You want to help my Jews, right? You will always rise to the top. And that's why America's rising to the top. Because they want to help Israel and allow Israel to expand and to become an incredibly great nation. And Israel is doing it. Do you know Israel is the 11th greatest industrial nation based on the UN statistic? You believe this? A nation of 9 million people beat, is beating the GDP of Japan. You believe this? That's God-given. This is not natural. 9 million people beats the GDP of Japan and it's the 11th greatest industrial nation? Excuse me, you know? I'm sure the, uh, the, uh, the what do you call it, the, uh, the, the, uh, the Taliban, there's 15 million Taliban, I'm sure they must be very jealous. How can a nation of 9 million, 9 million people rise to the level of a world nation? It's impossible. Of course, that's messianic. You have to be blind. You have to be blind not to see this. Any case, this is what's happening. That's the job of Trump, which he's doing, you see. And what's going to happen, it's fascinating. The next election, we'll see. I think the people in America will be so angry, even the non-Trumpers, at what the Democrats have done, that Trump will win again by a landslide. Not only that, he will get both houses, and then you were t you're going to watch what's called Trump Unleashed. <laughs> Unchained. Because once he has both houses, right, and he won the second term, then get out of my way. Because then his power is almost unlimited. You know, and he's not a lame duck, on the contrary. He's a revived Trump. Because all the Kitrugim, the Sutton, that's over. Because the Sultan only has permission for the first term. After that, forget it. Then Trump can do what he's assigned to do, which is to assist the Jewish people. Why can't they, why, why can't they just... That's what I believe. What? Reason for impeachment after the second... After what? The second term, they could also try to impeach him. With what? Not if the House is oh, Republican. Okay. Well, sure. Well, majority, the whole thing is a joke, you know? And by the time it's over, after his four years, you know, the world will have changed so much. <laughs> Who cares? You know, you know what I'm saying? <clears throat> uh, and that's why the Bershom is doing tremendous things for Trump. You know, <coughs> employment level is historical. It hasn't been this way in 50 years. Everybody's employed. I heard that there's over a million jobs waiting for people to take them. 
You can't get a guy to work for you anymore because everybody's employed. What is it, 3%, 3.5? It's historically low. You know, the Hispanics, the African Americans, the Asians, the women, the teens, everybody's working. In other words, if you want a job, you got it. You see? How can anybody, you know, in the end, that's what counts. Uh, you know, to put bread on my family's table. Who cares about anything else? You know what I'm saying? And the Bosham is giving him the bracha. You think this bracha, this blessing, is from nowhere? It's because God says, I, you will succeed. So at one time, he's giving him an incredible uh, a credit for the economy and so on. And his foreign affairs is incredible. You know, China is going to come back, you know, with a great trade deal because they all are afraid of Trump. You can't believe this man. This man doesn't know any fear. Uh, you know what I'm saying? You can't bribe him. What can you do with this guy? And they realize that Trump means what he says. This is messianic. Never happened before, you see? So he's got the blessing of a messianic figure. That's how you know and see. You can see what's going on in Psalm. Now, that's America. What about Israel? You yes. Well, yeah, okay, I'll make a comment, you know. I mean, this guy John Durham, I think. Mm -hmm. William Barr, right? Who else is there? And then there's Horowitz. Michael Horowitz, whatever, right? Uh, we don't even know what they're going to come out. Their charges, they're investigating the whole Pfizer you know, all of that stuff, you know, they are going to, and it's already criminal. They've now made it to a criminal investigation, which means they have subpoena powers and so on, you know. Uh, when they come out with their stuff, that's going to decimate the Democratic Party, because they're all Democrats. They're going to show how everybody was in cahoots to destroy Trump. And that's going to anger people. Why? Because people say, hey, I may not like Trump, if you're one of those guys, but come on, there's such thing as fair play, you know? You can't violate the Constitution because what they did is not merely a violation of campaign. This is a violation of the Constitution. They can do this to anybody. Then they have set a precedent to destroy any candidate by illegal means. And we're not talking here about people. We're talking about people that were in charge of the DOJ, Department of Justice, the FBI, the Intelligence Service, the Deep State. We're talking about all these guys, you know. Uh, and with all of that, who knows what Obama is guilty of? Because he knew all this. It's impossible that he didn't know what was going on with these guys. We don't even know what they will uncover. But whatever it's going to be, it could be very well a wholesale slaughter criminally of all these people, which is going to destroy, add to that, the destruction of the Democratic Party. So that's up and coming, you see. In any case, now, in Israel, same idea, okay? Now, I want to tell you something. In Parshish Nosoi, which I once said, it says that there are 12 princes of the tribes and each one brought a korban. <coughs> okay, and there are 12 of them. And in that it says uh, asidim, or uh, asidim, um, atudim. Atudim are goats. But since the Torah has no punctuation, you could read it as asidim. Okay, which means future. So you could say that the Torah is telling you that there will be 12 prime ministers of 
Israel. There are 12 Nesim, princes, and there will be only 12. Who is the 12th prime minister in terms of people, not in terms of terms, right? Netanyahu. Netanyahu is the last of the 12. Uh, so is that a prediction that Netanyahu, 12 of them, will be gone? After Netanyahu is the last one that will be part of what's called the era of Rav. Uh, what's important to understand is that Israel must change. As long as Netanyahu is prime minister, Jews will never do tshuva. <coughs> but that's against the whole concept. They will never do tshuva. Uh, don't, fool, don't confuse yourself by thinking because he allows Haredim to pass some of their bills. Uh, that's a million miles from the Torah that God wants to bring back to the Jewish people. Don't, don't fool yourself. Well, he allows the Haredim to have certain bills. But that's not the same as encouraging the Jews to learn the Torah. Now remember, I'm not talking here about compelling people to be religious. Not at all. Right? You can't compel people. Uh, but you don't need to be compelled. See, there's a very interesting Chazal. Okay? What does a Chazal say? It's very important. <coughs> God says the following. Let them forsake me. But my Torah they should not forsake. Why? Because the more Shabbat, because the light in the Torah will be Marzal Mutav, it'll bring them back. God says that. So look, you know, I mean, not that he wants it, obviously, but what he says is listen, you guys want to forsake me. I can understand that. Not, I shouldn't say I can understand that, but okay. But don't forsake my Torah. Why? Because the energy, the spiritual force that exists in the Torah will bring you back. Therefore, as long as you're learning Torah, you will come back to me, even if you don't want to observe my commandments. Why? Because you have to remember something, and this is one of the powers of the Torah. We know that God, Shechina, uh, the Torah, and Israel, Jewish people, are one, Chadhu. We know that. Uh, therefore, if you engage in one, automatically it will awaken you towards spirituality. If you engage in learning the Torah, there is something about learning Torah, you see, if you learn it and are successful, okay, that all of a sudden will connect or move its counterpart. What's the counterpart of Torah? Is the Neshama, right? Because the Neshama and Torah and God is Chad. That's what it means, Israel, the Neshama. So if you learn the Torah, then the Torah is going to move the Neshama. It's like if you move one arm, everything is going to move, right? Uh, so therefore, if you learn the Torah, it's going to move the Neshama. But if the Neshama moves, then what? It's going to be driven toward God. That's the sequence here, you see? Uh, so the key, right, is even if you're away from God, A, right, or you are away from, or the neshama is dormant, so to speak, if you get involved in learning Torah, becoming acquainted with the Torah itself, the spiritual energy in the Torah itself will change you because it's going to tap into its counterpart, which is you, the neshama. And the neshama will be aroused and moved and stirred 
right? To tap into its counterpart, which is God. That means the greatest remedy to come back is Torah. That's what Mahzir Namutov, God says this. You see, not I saying this. The Bersham testifies the power of Torah. That will take you back. You see, not because you're compelled, because it's going to move your spiritual essence. You see. And there's a famous posik, and this is how the rehab is going to begin. Okay? There's, going to be a, there's a famous posik that says in Amos, Perik Ches, posik 11. Here's what it says, where God says, and I'm going to send a hunger in the land. It's famous. It's not a hunger for bread. It's not a hunger for water or thirst, right? But it's a hunger to seek the word of God. That's what it says. Wow, that's a prophecy. When this is going to happen? When is there a hunger in the land? You see, that's what the rehab is. You see, that's what's going to happen eventually. You see, that the Jews all of a sudden will be awakened by learning Torah. When will that happen? Because the Bosham is what it says in the Torah, and I will pour my heart, ruchi, my spirit, on all flesh, but certainly the Jewish people. So something is going to happen, right, where there's going to be a hunger to know God, a spiritual awakening, you see? And what are they going to do? They're going to seek the word of God. And even though it says in the Navi, without getting into that, that they won't find it, that can be interpreted in many ways, okay, they will seek God. There will be a spiritual awakening in the Jewish people. And that will mean that they seek the word of God, not God, but the word to know his Torah. And like I said, once you know Torah, there's a chain. Means your Nisham is aroused, and once your Nisham is aroused, then all of a sudden you see God Himself. You see? And this is what, and what is all this about? This is basically the rehab. You see? Something's going to happen that we've never seen before. Well, there will be a spiritual awakening because the Jews have to come back to their Torah, and it's going to come back by learning the Torah and so on. Now, what does that all have to do with Israel in the Tanyom? Because what's happened to Israel has never happened before. It's incredible. You think about this. They had one election, failed. It never happened before. It's historical. Okay. I figured, okay, once it didn't happen, don't worry about it. Next time, no problem, right? Second time, fails again. What is God saying? You think it's because of politics? Of course not. What the Bansham is saying is, listen, you can have all the elections you want, but, right, but you're not going to have a government. Because the ability of the Erevrav to rule is over. You don't realize what kind of exer that is. It's over. That's what God is saying. In, in, obviously, in, 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 in uh, you know, in, 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 in actions and so on, events, you know. That's what he's saying. I don't care. You guys want to vote? You vote all you want. But you're not going to have a government. Why? Because your rule to destroy my people and the air of Rav, to destroy the bond that connects the Jewish people with me, is over. You see? So then the question is, what's going to happen? Right? So it's interesting. So right now, Netanyahu actually gave the mandate back. You have any idea what that is? It's unbelievable. 
You see, and I can't believe the Likud party, how foolish they are. Because, wait a minute, maybe Netanyahu can't put a coalition together, but why don't you dumbheads put somebody else as the head of the Likud? Maybe he could do it. Because the real opposition to the Likud isn't the Likud, it's Netanyahu. Everybody wants to get rid of the guy. And he doesn't want to see the handwriting on the wall. So therefore, what are you doing? Why give the mandate back? Just say, hey, wait a minute. Wait, 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 babe. Before we, we give it back, let's check out, what's his name? Somebody else. Who? Gideon Sir. Because he's the man who's voted as the most likely. Let's see what he can do. You see, why are they doing that? Why give up their mandate to form a coalition? Because Netanyahu couldn't do it. What is Netanyahu? Netanyahu reminds me of Louis Fourteenth, Right? I am the state. How do you say it in French? Je, whatever, right? Who? Can Gantz form a coalition? No. No, it's a joke. <laughs> oh, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, they, what, what do you mean? You're not the Likud party. You are the head of the Likud party, you know? But if you can't foot a coalition, what in the world are you doing? You know? You have this golden opportunity, so don't give it back to, what's his name, Rivlin? You know? Check it out with somebody else. And if he can't do it, fine. But they didn't do that. Because that's what Netanyahu thinks he is. He's a king of the Jews, you see? And if I can't do it, then nobody could do it. See? What a mistake. Okay, but that's the foolishness of the Likud. But anyway, so went back to Gantz. So what's going to happen with Gantz? You know, it's easier for me to be an astronaut than it is for Gantz to put a coalition together. And believe me, I'm not vying for the job as an astronaut. You see? <clears throat> and so on. So what's going to happen? Right? Basically, he's going to give it back to Rivlin. And then what are they going to do? What's Rivlin going to do? Nobody wants a third election. It's going to cost, what does it cost? $50 million? $100 million? What, are they crazy? All that money could go for poverty or whatever, you see? So what he's going to try to do is either give it to the Knesset, okay, and that's the law, that the Knesset can decide who to put together the coalition. And then this guy's got 15 days. Or he may go back to the Likud and say, listen, forget about Netanyahu. Especially if Netanyahu is indicted, that he's finished. If he's indi indicted, he's finished, you see? But either way, that's a third possibility. Let the Knesset decide, or the Likud party decide, and hopefully Gideon Sa will do it. And Gideon Sa, as far as I'm concerned, is an interesting person, and I believe that he could be a transition, hopefully, just to, you know, restore Jewish education. Torah education to the Jewish people and let, let them decide if they want to be religious or not. That's all. But at least give them an education. You know how many guys going to high school in Israel they don't even know what Shema Israel is? Well, what, what kind of betrayal is that of God and His Torah and the whole covenant that He has with the Jewish people? It is beyond belief. You see. So, for the rehabilitation process to start, right, Netanyahu must be deposed of seriously depose right and somebody else i believe it could be or is gideon saw and that will begin a certain transition period where the jews will now be restored to their torah and like i say that's bad news for guys who don't want to be religious once you begin learning the torah as god testifies then the more shabbat uh, then the light in the torah which is you because the Torah is chad, it's part of your neshama. You can't get away from it. You see? The only way to get away from it is don't learn the Torah. Uh, but once you learn Torah, it's going to grab you. 
because that's part of your essence. And once the neshama awakens and stirs, it will come to seek God. You see? And that is the way to do it. You see? It's not a matter of, uh, like, uh, what's his name? Somebody once said, Smotrich, I think it was, where well, we want to make it to a halachic state. That's absolute nonsense. What are you, the Mashiach or something? Of course not. No, what you want to do is not make it to a halachic state. No. You don't want to compel people. What you do want to do is get them to learn some Torah. And Torah is the antidote. Like mean, the Gemara says, Torah is the greatest of all antidotes against the Yitzhahara. And that's how it can work, you see? And then once the rehabilitation starts, that will be incredible, you see? But there are three things that have to happen in that rehabilitation stage. What are they? One, there has to be security. There has to be security, right? Because people are not going to move to Israel if they're always in a war zone. The second thing that has to happen is called prosperity. Israel has to be a trace, place of tremendous prosperity, especially economically, for jobs and so on. And the third thing is religiosity. They have to come back to their Torah. You see, <clears throat> those are the three things that have to happen. So think about this. Security. Did you notice that this guy Abu Bakr, one of the greatest murderers of all time, killed. Did you ever ask yourself why? Why now? They've been after this guy for 10 years at least. You know? Why did God give them the wisdom of where he's hiding out? Right? Because maybe his death is the beginning of the tranquility, of security. Maybe. Right? Because the main feature of ISIS is him. And with, without him, then ISIS is in danger, not totally a form apart, right? Um, but seriously being damaged in terms of what they can do. So the question is, are we witnessing the beginning of the enemies of Israel, which also is the enemies of mankind? Could be. That's the meaning of his death at this time, is the beginning of security. And therefore, what would be interesting is who's the greatest enemy of Israel, security-wise? It's Iran. It's very possible that Iran, which has been emboldened by what? By its destruction of the oil wells of Saudi Arabia, they're going to press the red button. And all of a sudden, they are going to go to war. Yeah, an Iran, a Iranian war against the United States with Israel that will destroy the government of Iran. Uh, and it's very possible, because as it is, everybody's expecting them to do something which will start a war, you see? <clears throat> but the truth is, as long as they are, they exist, specifically the mullahs, right? Then Israel will never have the security it needs. Besides, it's spending a fortune in money on what? <coughs> on, uh, on, on defense. Without Iran, right, that's basically almost the end of terrorism because they're the main sponsors. So therefore, Israel could use all that money for the growth of Israel, right? So therefore, wouldn't it be incredible? Which is interesting because the Medrash, which I once quoted a long time ago, where it says, in the week that Ben David comes, which could mean in the seven-year period before that, it says Persia, Poras, is going to instigate a war against Arav. Arabia. That's fair. And then it says Arabia is going to seek counsel with Edom. 
and then all of a sudden they're going to try to destroy the world for us and Israel is going to say well what do we do you see and then all of a sudden there's going to be a, a divine voice a bus call that says don't worry Jews right <clears throat> the time of your redemption has arrived it says that in the Medrash and this Medrash was written 2,000 years ago isn't that interesting what did Iran do they started the war with Saudi Arabia isn't that Arav of course it is Saudi Arabia is Arav and they just bombed 50% of the oil of Saudi Arabia that's amazing and who did Saudi Arabia turn to? Trump of course right? or for whatever reason Trump did whatever he did whatever his reasoning and so on right? and then all of a sudden Poros will be emboldened they see we bombed Saudi Arabia what did America do? basically nothing so guess what? who's next? our old enemy Israel so they're going to step over the line <coughs> it's very possible that they're going to do something which is clearly an act of war and Israel must respond and once Israel responds America will respond but the goal is not to destroy Iran the Iranians are okay basically you know it's the government that is vicious and evil they will be destroyed if that happens then the security of Israel will be ensured which means the rehabilitation process can actually begin. Security, prosperity, and ultimately religiosity. So really, we're looking forward to the last period of time, right? Which is the rehabilitation process. And in that process, Israel will be restored to their Torah, right? They will reach a certain level. Then the Mashiach ben Yosef will come, you see? And that'll be the end of the era of Rav. You should know one thing. <clears throat> because if the era of Ra falls, uh, that is the gr last great impediment of the messianic era. That's what it is. You're looking at one of the most, the, most the, the greatest obstacle to the Mashiach is the era of Rav. And if he, if they fall, basically, then you're looking at the imminent arrival of a Mashiach, but only after a certain uh, rehabilitation process. Wow, I've said a lot of stuff right uh, but what I'm hoping is that you understand how all of this fits everything you see all of this fits not exactly uh, um, oh. can I ask a question now? tell me what doesn't fit big question big <laughs> issue one of the big issues we didn't discuss here we didn't discuss a lot of I, things no, but, but I want to hear what your opposition is no, uh, I don't want to hear another share this isn't what? <laughs> no, I don't want to hear another share no, just tell me what you oppose that's but, all no it's not that I'm necessarily opposing oh now you're backing off huh? no no, no it's a question that, that we didn't discuss even yeah, how yeah. can Israel have peace or the Jews have peace as long as Islam exists because because once Iran is gone, right, then that's the end of Hezbollah. That is the end of Hamas. That is the end of... Hamas are Sunni Muslims. What? Hamas are Sunni Muslims. They get support from Iran, but they are Sunni Muslims. It doesn't make a difference. 
the, one of the major bankrollers, and that's probably that's one of the problems now, is that since Iran has no oil, because America's killing them, and you should know one thing, they have to go to war, because they're dying economically. They're down to, I forgot what it is, I think they used to sell like a million barrels a day, and now they're down to 200,000 barrels. I mean, that's a, that, that, that's a death sentence to Iran, and they know that. So they have to go to war in some way to bluff the world. What effect does that, what effect does that happen to Iran on the election of Iran attacks right before the 2020 election? I don't know if they'll do that. They may attack after. You know, once there's a government. Look, this business with uh, Israel is not going to wait till March. Don't worry, it's not going to wait till March, you know? <laughs> but the Muslims are building <clears throat> mosques all over America, and they're even making, threatening the Jews right in America. Because, so okay. Once terrorism is gone, okay, then that in many ways is a major reason why Islam will no longer be the enemy of so many people. Because the major sponsor of the, of, the, of, of, uh, the opposition to everybody is really Iran and the terrorism zone. If that was gone, then the world would change. You don't realize how much influence they have on the world. And therefore Islam, whatever religion, they will be like, they will be like every other religion that awaits the truth of the Messiah. That's all. But they, the opposition that they hatred that they have basically is fueled by Iran, Hamas, Hezbollah, and all many, many other people. But once Iran is gone and so on, right, then all of a sudden the climate of that hostility changes. And uh, the, the same thing in, in uh, even with Abbas and so on, this whole business of uh, uh, the Trump plan and so on, Nothing like that will happen. Anyway, who? The fall of Islam. Is, you know, is, is it the fall of Islam will be the same as the fall of Christianity. Israel is not going to fall until Mashiach comes. But that doesn't make a difference. The main thing is the uh, is uh, is the military exactly. That's what's so, so dangerous. Yeah. It's a perfect Chinese question because it always answers trouble when. Uh, would you not agree with when viral? We heard a little bit of it over here. When Aristotle went viral around Aristotle that the famed Zoken Makubal of Yitzhakaduri, it came out that he got his manuscripts when he was a youngster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm not familiar with that. Yeah. Yeah. That there will be, That's before fine. she comes, two binyamas will be vying for power and need the one. Yeah, okay. Fine. Would you not agree with that? Uh, I, I, mean, I, I, I first of all, I don't even know if it's true. Well, that's what, that's what, I mean, it fits perfectly. I mean, to Benjamin, Benny Gallo. Okay, look, I, I don't know if it's true. If he said that, somebody could. There are so His many statements. He has a son. Whatever. What I want to tell you something. There have been so many statements where people were saying, "Well, this is going to happen, that, and, and nothing ever happened." So I, I don't really buy it. I, I just go on about what I see, and, and that's it. You know. But anyway, this is what I see. And um, I, I believe that uh, the Sutton only has permission to do this uh, in the first term, you know. And that's why you're seeing this simultaneous uh, shakeup of America and Israel at the same time. Because uh, I think there are a bunch of, can I use the word sick and tired, <laughs> of the world. And he wants to begin the rehabilitation process. You know, more than we want it, he wants it also. Because the world has descended to an incredible level of evil. Evil immorality.
tremendous corruption. It's really terrible what's going on out there, you know? And, uh, and, and, and so on. It's like the world is what's called a hefka. It's just like, a, it's a complete abandonment of righteousness, you know, and holiness. It's just all about, and it's not just that. It's all about money and power, materialism and pleasure. It's basically what the world is turning into. You know, I forget about, I'm, I'm talking about evil itself, you know, but I mean, everybody in America is just after money, after power, recognition, prestige, uh, pleasure, possessions, materialism. Yeah, that's, all, that's what it's about. I, I, I saw a statistic where they, they, they said that, uh, where, where, that um, people who did not believe in God uh, last year, I think, that it increased by 9% this year that do not believe in God. They're either atheists, they're agnostics, or they just couldn't care less. That's a 9% increase <coughs> of America. You have any idea what that means? I mean, it's a, a religion, belief in God and so on, or belief in spirituality and righteousness, it's gone out of tubes. This is one year, you know, so give, you give it another five, 10 years, when technology increases and everybody's gonna be enamored with the smartphones and the internet and everything else, who's gonna remember God? Why, why would anybody care about spirituality? What does that do with me? You know, I can live a phenomenal life you know, with materialism and pleasure and power and prestige and hey, this is great. What do I need God for? That's, what, that's what's happening. You see, there's no need, there's no drive to be spiritual. Nobody's seeking God. And the, how long will the Bershom tolerate that? That he is no longer part and parcel of man's consciousness. It's over with. We don't realize it's over with. Every day, every year, they come out with a new smartphone. And nobody can take their eyes off the smartphone. It's unbelievable. You know, and therefore, after a while, but it's, it's a go, the bunch of them saying, come on, don't you guys remember me? You know? <clears throat> so, the, so evil doesn't only mean evil and bad and all that. Evil also is, is corruption. It, it means the complete, uh, what do you call it, um, negation of spirituality, or holiness, or righteousness. It's basically over. You know, people don't want to realize that, but technology is killing everybody. Yeah. What's that? Safari. Complete Torah online. Okay. <laughs> so, so what? Technology can be used for good purposes. I want to tell you something. You know what the problem with that is? What? The Sutton will always allow something in to, <laughs> to lure everybody to their destruction. That's what it's all about. Something's not stupid. He knows if you don't give in slightly to religiosity, nobody's going to, uh, you know, it's a, so he's got to say, look, there's so much religious material. You know, what a, you know what a lead item in in a department store is? You know what it is? Yeah. They, they, you know, something's for sale, they reduce it 25%, right? And once you're in, you say, wow, I want to buy that, I want to buy that. It's to get you in. It's, you know, that, that's all it is. Same thing with the internet. Of course there's, there's, there's forum, there's good stuff, some religious stuff, but that's just to get you in to watch everything else. And that's exactly what happens. Once you're in, forget about that. That becomes moot. It's everything else that becomes important. Listen, Sutton is a lot smarter than you. You know, he knows exactly how to capture you. 